No, yeah. Hello, everybody. It's Brian Janikowski uh, with Market Watch, Friday, September the first, end of the f- end of the th- third quarter. I'm Christian Thwaite, and I am Emily Takenverts, and let's get started, Christian. So this week, Christian, you wrote about some of the economic data that we saw this week. I wanted to focus, uh, GDP was generally rosy, it was revised up, but uh, that was to be expected. Um, But I want to talk about the housing data, because it has been down uh, in four of the last five months. Um, And housing data is generally thought of as a leading indicator. So what should investors be keeping an eye on in this regard? And what are the potential implications it might have for growth in the future? Yes, that housing is such a large part of the economy and also people's uh, net worth. So um, I think the last numbers we saw approximately for Americans as a whole, their primary residence represents about 60% of their net worth. And obviously that's going to be uh, different depending on the income bands. But kind of think of housing in a different different components. There's the activity, which is what people, uh, what new housing construction, so that shows up in uh, housing starts. And then there's uh, new home sales, which as the name implies is the, is the sale of homes that have just been built. Uh, and then there's sales of existing homes. And the first two tend to get a lot more um, publicity and spotlight on them. But it's existing homes, which which runs at about five million a year, versus new homes about five hundred thousand a year, and uh, housing starts runs at about one point two million a year. So that we look at the existing home sales, and last week we saw the pending home sales. So you get pending before before closing, and they they were not they were not really very good. Uh, I think part of that is the um, change in mortgage rates, which have gone up a little bit this year. Um, and I don't think cons- confidence has changed very much, but I, I th- as we know, especially in the Bay Area, you know, housing prices are pretty tight. Uh, and so it does seem as if the, uh, the, 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 the home sales have come off the boil a little bit and people are a little less uh, willing to pay out for them than they were six to nine months ago. Mm-hmm. And, and that could affect then growth just by the sheer um, size or weight that it has in GDP. Uh, yeah, it shows up in different ways in, in GDP. Uh, I, think, I think of it more as an indication of spending and consumer confidence and, and uh, uh, you know, building a new home and, and moving home, which creates activity around moving or mm-hmm. buying appliances and things like that. And it, it's just been a little bit soft. Um, so... It, it's not a huge area of concern for us. We saw housing starts, a lot of people look at, that peaked at 2 million before 2006, got the lowest 600,000. It's now up to about 1.2 million. So that's kind of okay. That's real activity. People go out there and build this, build these things. Uh, so, the, so the pending home sales and the existing home sales can just fluctuate as people go in and out of wanting to move and it can be a reflection of the jobs market and wages and interest rates and mortgage rates and a whole bunch of things. So it's just that it's, uh, it's it just hasn't been a, a hugely great number um, and it kind of goes along with this relatively slow growth economic story that we've been talking about, you and I, for, for months now. So let's talk about wages and personal income. You also wrote about uh, how the wage gro- growth has been particularly anemic um, and I've asked you this before, <laughs> but 
you know, why is this? What are the factors or the conditions <coughs> in the economy that you see um, that is affecting this lack of growth? Is it the, the change of distributions and payrolls into lower paying jobs? Uh, is it lack of demand? I mean, what do you see as the key factors affecting the anemic growth? I think it's it's a lot of different things. Demographics are some of it. Uh, there has been an unmistakable move away from labor share of the economy to capital's share of the economy. And that's just another fancy way of saying that it's going to show up in corporate profits rather than in pe- people's pay packet. And that's mm-hmm. been going on for years, and it's, uh, and it's happened. It's part of this inequality story and also the fact that American workers haven't seen much of an increase in real wages for, for years. Um, but it, it, it does seem as if that's the norm today. It's very difficult for, I think, for, for people to get higher wages. So when you say, uh, when you make that distinction, are you saying that investors are doing pretty well, but the workers aren't sharing in those gains exactly. necessarily? Exactly. Okay. And, and that's been part of the criticism of QE, that that it's all increased asset prices, which is great if you're in the stock market, and of course a lot of our clients are, um, and if you're a saver, um, that's also good too. But, um, but but generally it's helped asset prices more than it seems to have affected the real economy, you know, hence we're still in low inflation. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, we talk about it because, uh, you know, the, we, we talked about it this week and we've talked about it amongst ourselves. You know, here's three scenarios about a pay increase. So, you know, your employer gives you a two percent pay increase, and 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 that's good. And then your employer doesn't change your pay, but he reduces your, but but inflation falls two percent. And the third option is your employer increases your hours by two percent. Now they all put the same amount of money in your pocket, uh, real amount of spending power, but. But I kind of argue that the only one that really counts is if your employer gives you 2%. The other one is if prices go down 2%, you earn the same, theoretically got the same buying power. I don't think it necessarily pushes you out, you know, urges you to go out and spend more. And if your employer gives you more money by giving more hours, it's just like a trade-off. Uh, you know, you're just working longer. Um, and I think you're more likely to be more excited about option number one than you are the other two. And so that's, unfortunately, what's been happening is the other two. <laughs> so uh, we've seen some spikes in real wages, but that's because inflation has been really low. Uh, you know, if I continue to, you know, pay you $100 uh, an hour, uh, Emily, and, uh, and inflation goes down 5%, uh, you know, that's increased your spending power. But I don't think it's quite the same way uh, as, if, as if we're giving you an, an increase from 100 to 105. And I, that, that's kind of what's been happening, I think, and that's why I'm, so bearish about the uh, you know the personal income and wages front. Mm-hmm. I want to come back to the that distinction or dichotomy that you made between uh, kind of slow growth, seeing low growth, but then also seeing the stock market um, and investors do very well. I heard an interesting argument um, this week about productivity and about innovation, and um, you know one of the arguments uh, was that productivity is really suffering or innovation is really suffering in corporate culture because of the corporate ownership culture that we have where we we spoke a couple of weeks ago or about a month ago about Nestle um, and the uh, the proxy fight that they're in I know that P&G is also Procter and Gamble is also um, in in a proxy fight as well but the argument is is that Wall Street financial institutions that you know own 
a large portion of these companies really don't have the talent, the methodology, or the experience to be essentially trying to run these companies. And what they want is kind of predictable um, you know, returns and don't want to take a lot of risk. And innovation and entre entrepreneurship take a time and they take um, some level uh, of risk. And so, you know, kind of want to know your thoughts on that argument and um, whether you see that to be a factor at all in the productivity growth. Yeah, I think it is uh, a factor. Um, you've touched on a lot of points which are happening, but let me just kind of pick out one. And that um, companies have figured out, it's changing slightly now, but figured out that returning money to shareholders in the form of buybacks is a quicker way to get your stock price moving than investing in capex or more in your people or more productivity gains. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, now, investors are a little bit more sanguine and a bit more skeptical now of buyback stocks, and they haven't necessarily done very well. But, but so um, it, it, it is affecting productivity. And it might just boil down to the fact that labor is cheaper than capital. Uh, and so for so for a, uh, a chief executive looking at building more machinery and building more robots, I know we've heard a lot about that. It, it may or may not come, but um, it's it still might be cheaper to hire to to keep people on at, at, at wages, and then it, then it won't show up in the productivity numbers. And so that's that's kind of what we're what we're facing. It's a complicated complicated mm -hmm. area for generally, but I think that we haven't seen robust productivity growth in the U.S. for a very long time. Uh, and it kind of you know stuck at very very low levels. And it's just a it's a it's a lot less than it was in the in the 90s. Um, and I just think we're kind of in that in that phase for now. And you also made the point about you know the uh, who's controlling these companies. Well, of course, a lot of them is just uh, you know index funds are controlling 30 40 percent of the market. Um, uh, and uh, I, I think they just want they're just looking at returns. There isn't a lot of, you know, if shareholder activism is coming to the fore, it's all about cutting costs and being more efficient. And there's a, there's a, there's a limit to what you can do on that. And I think the productivity numbers still will hurt. Do you think that the that Silicon Valley um, and its kind of alternative access to capital via VC has allowed them um, to, to take those risks and make and invest in those innovations that have um, spurred productivity growth in the IT sector? Yeah, I'm not sure there is productivity in the IT sector. I mean, I, I think you know we, we know that there's a hundred, thousand maybe unicorns. You know, the uh, the private companies which haven't yet gone public worth over a billion dollars. We don't hear a lot about them. Uh, we hear about the ones like uh, uh, you know Uber and, and and Theranos and stuff like that. But uh, but there's a lot which are doing perfectly well at a you know at, at a lower level. Um, yeah, certainly that's an area for patient capital. By, by definition, they're kind of doing startups and brand new ideas. Uh, they, they're doing all sorts of things, addressing markets that didn't exist before. Uh, I, I just don't know. It's, not, well, it's certainly not showing up in the national account as, as big, um, as big uh, uh, productivity gains or, or even game changers. They're, they're successful businesses, but you know, some of them just shift uh, demand from one sector to another. So it, you know, it hasn't really shown up in the, in the macro world yet. Great. Uh, so I want to end on uh, um, talking about taxes. The Treasury Secretary Mnuchin was making the rounds this week. 
Um, and you know, despite saying that the the administration had a very detailed plan on tax reform, we were short on details. But he did make an, an interesting argument, and he tied uh, lower taxes uh, to growth. And I'm wondering if you buy that argument, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, why or why not? Well, it's it's simplistic. It kind of goes back to the Laffer curve of the early '80s, where you reduce income taxes and that creates more spending and more demand and you get into a kind of a virtuous cycle. If you go back and look at the tax revenues in those years and look at GDP growth in those years, there's almost no connection between them. All, all the tax cuts does is just increase the budget deficit. Uh, and and um, that's very clear from the Reagan tax cuts and it's clear from the couple of Bush tax cuts. So. Uh, it, it's it's a very appealing argument. It's very spurious argument, uh, and the uh, what if they're saying that you know corporate tax would be reduced from marginal tax rate of I can remember it was a thirty five percent or something, you know, to twenty five in a, it will sort of create this sort of wonderful uh, virtuous circle of uh, of companies spending more. You know, I I just don't buy it. It's uh, it, it will help those companies and their earnings per shares will go up and the stock market will go up. But I don't think uh, this is going to attract a big cohort of people, you know, into the labor force who aren't in it already. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily going to you know, lead to those um, you know, sort of animal uh, instincts of, of creating more, uh, you know, demand in the economy. But uh, the Republicans have talked about it for years, about their only sort of economic plan, which they ever can can sort of agree on um, and uh, but 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 I think the first reaction from the markets will be that it's going to be a problem for the you know for the budget and spending rather than it's going to be a huge impetus to uh, to the economy companies yes but not to the to the economy thank you Christian thanks for listening thank you very much and here's the disclosure Please note this discussion of our investment, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments, investment strategy, the day this commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investments discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. It's for general information purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The security is mentioned in this commentary. Or any several of the successful or unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased or the recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completes of any statements of numerical data, past performance, no indication of future results. <laughs>